0: is this thing on hi guys good morning i'm sorry i'm late um back in my uh, days in the business world i had a, a boss once who'd say when you're late to a meeting you need to look at the number of people in the meeting multiply the number of people times the minutes that you're late and that's how much time you wasted so if i was one minute late here i've wasted a lot of time already haven't i pardon me while i get dressed there we go. Good morning. My name's Ray, and uh, I'm one of the uh, members of the church here, and uh, Adam, our pastor, is uh, taking a well-deserved break, and the bad news for you is you get the B team, but here I am, so deal with it. Yeah, I know. Isn't that terrible? That's a, a, a shameless ploy to get people to say, oh, no, we love you. We love you. How's everybody? we good? I feel good. Do you feel good? I feel good. Do you feel good? All right, um, I, Lord Jesus, would you help us not just to feel good, but to feel your love? Would you help us, Lord, not to just be aware of uh, your kindnesses to us, but to be aware of your presence with every breath we take? And we really do invite you to be here among us. Amen. Breathe them in. Breathe them in. All right. Well... We are on week four of a, a series that's going to run six or seven weeks that Pastor Adam started about visionary leadership. These lessons are drawn from the life of Moses, even though we're going to start in Isaiah today. They're drawn from the life of Moses, and you biblical scholars will notice right away that you don't really find a lot of Moses in Isaiah, but that's all right. We'll get to, we'll get to Moses uh, as well. And um, it's about visionary leadership, which is one of the, the great crying needs uh, in the world today. Now, oddly enough, not much has changed. Uh, Moses probably lived, depending on how you do the math, uh, 3,000 to 3,500 years ago. People in the Middle East were not getting along. There was all kind of oppression. Well, and it kind of just sounds like today, doesn't it? The need for visionary leadership has not changed. The need for godly visionary leadership certainly hasn't changed. And um, uh, so uh, there's, there's a real need for this uh, today. Um, uh, Adam referenced uh, uh, this passage in Isaiah it's so beautiful do you know that Jesus started his ministry what did he do he wet his fingers like this and he flipped in the pages of his bible or something like that um, to Isaiah chapter 61 where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor and then like there's this whole passage that Jesus reads and Uh, I heard N.T. Wright one time say that when Jesus refers to even one small snippet of scripture, what he's really doing is directing your attention to the larger passage. And Adam is the one who pointed out to us in this series that uh, although the quotation really stops in, in Luke's gospel where Jesus is referring to these things, the quotation stops, we would do well to read on. And that Isaiah 61 verse 4 is a really critical verse because after having reached the poor and the brokenhearted and those uh, that are crying out, it says they will rebuild the ancient cities and the, and the ruins. And you know, see, this is just like God. And that is to rescue, to save, to love, to pull him close to us and then say, guess what? I need you to rebuild the ancient ruins. They will, so so who does the work of God? And the answer is those that he draws to himself. Who does the work of God? Those whom he draws to himself, which would be you and me. And if you feel the drawing of God in any way, if you feel the drawing of God in just the slightest curiosity, part of that drawing is not only his rescue and his love and his forgiveness and his affirmation. Part of the drawing you're feeling is the drawing to be among those who rebuild the ancient ruins. Now, Adam refers uh, to this passage, Isaiah 61, verse 4, and uh, it reminded me of an experience that I had uh, many, many years ago uh, that uh, involved Isaiah chapter 60 the very last chapter. Now, if you're on the very odd chance that you're taking notes, what I'm going to refer to is Isaiah 60, verse 22. And, uh, and what it says there is it says that among these people that God gathers to himself, among this in assembly of people that, that the, the mother hen is pulling in underneath of her wings, among these people that the least of you will be a clan, and even the smallest will become a mighty nation, depending on your translation. New, New International Version says, you know, the least of you will lead thousands. And here's, here's my story. I, I was part of a, um, of a church many years ago in another state, and, uh, and I actually uh, was uh, working for a businessman that was a part of our church. And I got into a discussion with this guy that owned the business about this other guy who either was or wasn't a believer. He was like just the delivery guy within our company. And, and I saw like such a heart in this young man and such potential in this young man. And I went to the owner of the business because I was, you know, small business stuff, but, uh, but I was like the middle guy in all of this. And I said, we really ought to be giving Brian more responsibility. And he said, well, he can't handle it. And I said, well, you know, don't you believe that the least of us are going to be the leaders of at least a clan. And and this guy that I worked for, who was also my friend, um, he actually looked at me and he said, you're wrong about this. Uh, he didn't look like that. He actually looked much handsomer. But he did point his finger at me. He pointed his finger at me and he said, you're wrong about this. That's just not practical. And I was so astounded in this conversation that this guy, for whom I had great respect, this guy who probably knew the scripture better than I did, at least in being able to you know, do the chapter and verse thing, it was like, dude, except back, this was the 1930s, we didn't say dude. Uh, it's like, where's your vision? Where's your sense of, you know, calling for this, this young man? And he just said, it's just not practical. Not everybody is going to be a leader. And, and it, was, it was like a really tense moment between us. And, and it was also a really deflating moment because this guy was a business owner. He was a lay leader within the church that I was a part of. And his vision could not extend to one of his employees that was down on the periphery, just, you know, quote, just doing deliveries. And, and it was like, it's just not practical. No, not everybody's going to be a leader. And, and now here's my problem is that I've listened uh, both to the audio archive because I was on the road uh, and I've been here in person as Adam the first three weeks talked about visionary leadership. And I'm just going just gonna to lay it out there. And if, and if I come off as a judgmental son of a gun, well then you're, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> I've, I've watched for three weeks and I've wondered how many people actually think that the first three messages have been for them for me. I've I've really watched and wondered. You see, I've Adam's Adam's laboring on this. I believe he's got the word of the Lord. I believe he's got part of the direction that God has for us. Whether we're business people, whether we are parents, with whether we're educators, whatever it is that we do, um, you know. I, and I've wondered if if we've really captured what what God has for us in this. We certainly haven't captured i got to put on this earpiece, have I? Talk about spoiling the moment. There you go. All right. So here's the question is, are we wrong too? Are we wrong about this? That God is calling you and you and you and you to visionary leadership? Is God calling us? Okay, gut check time. Just ask yourself, it's Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22. Do I really think that I will leave a 1,000? Because as I was preparing this message, I thought, gosh, we're the fourth week in. Usually what you do is you start to review the series, you know, to catch up for people that are visiting. By the way, if you're visiting, hello. Um, That's our warm greeting to you. Um, (laughs) You know, you you normally do like a a review. And I thought, why in the world would I do a review when what's going on inside of my heart is, have we embraced the foundation of this message? And can I just tell you, as the guy who's up here, like with the mic, um, I wonder if we've embraced this message, whether you are. 16 years old and you are going into your junior year of high school, whether you are 68 years old and you are wondering of how in the world you're going to make your social security work and the fact that you can only get 14 hours a week at Walmart to supplement. Do we really believe that what God does is that he gathers us in, he loves us ultimately, and that his intentions for us is that we would lead thousands. And I know what you're thinking is, I can't even keep the three kids running around the house in diapers. One of them runs around naked while I'm changing the other diaper. You're thinking, how in the world am I going to be able to do this? You might be facing really intense personal issues. You might be facing your own um, deficiencies. You might be facing the illness of a loved one. And you're thinking, and they're up there talking about visionary leadership. To which I answer, yeah, we are. Because I'm just crazy enough to believe the vision that Isaiah had. I think Isaiah saw something and he saw it so foundationally. That it, that it drove him. And in fact, if you, if, if you want an assignment, it's just actually from Isaiah 60, verse 1, all the way through to chapter 66, which is the end of the book. It's really all one prophetic oracle. Read it, have your mind blown, and then this week, actually try to do battle with the greatness of God's vision for you. In the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of what you're facing, in the midst of what you're afraid of, in the midst of what you've suffered, the greatness of God's glory and vision for you. And it should take our breath away. And it should put us in touch with our doubts in a whole new way. Now, in my day job, I am a high-priced consultant for businesses, churches, and for government agencies. And so I I bring that perspective when I speak. And I really want to get this. I'm going to spend as long as I feel like we need to get through. God's calling you. God's calling you. Didn't mean to shout at you, sorry. All right, thank you. God's calling you. God's calling you. God's calling you to be a leader. And whatever it takes for the first half of this message to communicate it, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm, so I'm drawing on my uh, high-priced consultant skills, and I wanted to show you a flow chart. And so here it is. Am I a leader? If you answer no, you got the wrong answer. And the result is try again. So let's just take a minute and process. I want you to start at the beginning, which is the the rectangle, and I want you to follow the flow of the flow chart. Am I a leader? If the answer is no, you made it to the wrong answer, try again. You need a right answer. Well, fortunately, being a high-priced consultant for businesses, churches, and for government agencies, you build on the flowchart. So I'm going to build on this, okay? (laughs) So if you've done the loop that takes you to the left, maybe it brings you to this point, which is, am I a leader? I guess so. Well, that's also wrong. (laughs) So you can try again. Or, I mean, if you, you've actually gotten this far that this answer, I guess so, is less wrong than the answer of no, you could just do this. Uh, uh, a bodily uh, gesture optional but useful. Father, open my eyes to your vision for me. Because if you get at least as far as, well, I guess so, which is still the wrong answer, at least you're beginning to open yourself to the possibility that what God says about you is true. This is like freaking mind-blowing stuff. What God says about us is true. The good news is better than we could have ever expected. The good news is gooder than enters into our imagination. Right? So, flowchart. And there you go. If you answer yes, and if you answer it like this, yes, then we can begin. Now, I, I tried to make a flow chart because that's what I do. I, I tried to make it fun. I don't know if it is. But guys, I'm really asking and you should be really asking, am I a leader? Because the answer is that God saw you. He selected you. He pulled you close. He put up with all of your crapola. He forgave it. He cleansed it. He's nurturing you. And it's because he has bigger plans and ideas for who you are than you or I could possibly imagine. I mean, I'm 58. I have slow motion ADD. I'm on my third career. And God still has bigger plans for me than I can imagine. And the challenge for me is, will I embrace that? Okay? And the challenge for you, if I can be that blunt, for you is, will you embrace that? Personal life's in the toilet. Uh, You're facing uh, significant health issues. Uh, You can't pay the rent for this, you know, August 1, this buzzkill. August 1's right around the corner. How are you going to pay the rent? Um, And at the same time, here's what the Lord says. The least of you will be a clan. Here's what the Lord says. Those that I pull close to me will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the cities. And Adam's done a really good job of this, in my opinion. Do you, how many of you know that Campbellsville and Taylor County needs rebuilding? And you know what? I don't. I don't care about the bricks and the mortar. I do a little bit. I care about that we need rebuilding from the inside out. That we need a renaissance of hope and vision for our community. And I I know this because I've read Acts chapter two, which is when 120 people got totally just flowed over by God, and from that one place, with that one assembly of people, the entire world got turned upside down? If this room... Forget about the 11 o'clock service. We don't even like them. If this room gets... And you know what I'm going to say about the 9 o'clock service, right? At the 11 o'clock... Right. If this room gets a hold of God's heart for us individually and for our community, there is such change that happens. There is such change. And my problem is, is I, I even wonder, how can I begin? How can I go on yabber, 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 visionary leadership, Moses did this, we should too, blah, blah, if we cannot do this work right here? And I know I'm, I'm on the fourth iteration of this right now. But I'm asking, do you really believe that God has called you to be a leader? And the only good news that I have about that question being asked four different times, four different ways now, is that you can take all week to process it. But process it, we should. Process it, we must. And it's God's best intentions for us. And, you know, if, if we're impatient, like, when's he going to move on to the next point? The answer is when I feel the spirit in the room change. <laughs> when I feel hope rising, that, oh, my gosh, it's actually possible that whether I am a, a newbie or a gray beard, whether I've got blue hair because I've dyed it to get rid of the gray or I have blue hair because I think it's really cool and I dyed it because it's really blue, it doesn't matter, young or old, rich or poor, business owner or employee or unemployed or on government assistance. It doesn't matter. We have to do business with this. And so that's my hope. And if that's all you take away from today, then please just try to process that. Just try to process that. I'm gonna move on because eventually you guys would get really tired and just leave. But you see, the flowchart only gets us to the beginning. The flowchart only gets us to the beginning. But I do want to talk about visionary leadership from the life of Moses. Pastor Adam took us through Exodus chapters 3 and 4. Do you remember from last week? And I'm not going to do a review. I will do the quick commercial for the uh, vineyardcamblesville.org. Click on the uh, audio archive. The other three messages are there. You might, might if you if you do the flow chart, you might have to go back and do the other three just to kind of get back up to speed. And here's the deal. Moses, who was born under threat of death, uh, ends up being adopted into a wealthy and privileged family, grows up, deals with that privilege, deals with the, uh, the blind spots that privilege uh, uh, works in us. I guess I am doing a review. Uh, 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 then decides he can do things on his own strength, Kills a guy, realizes, uh-oh, that probably wasn't smart. Runs away to the backside of nowhere and he's there for 40 years. And, and, and then for no particular reason of merit, God calls him and says, I want you to go back and I want you to be the guy. And there's no merit in that. You know, God didn't pick Moses because Moses had his act together. God picked Moses because God said, I think I'll pick him. Right? So here's the deal. In chapters 3 and 4, Moses is selected. In chapters 3 and 4, Moses begins to discover who this Yahweh God is. Um, You realize that God appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph. Joseph is the one uh, who makes the way for them all to move to Egypt but you realize there's a gap of 400 years then. Did you know that? That between Genesis, when the book closes, Genesis done, and Exodus opens, 400 years. I like when the movies go, you know, right with the text, 400 years later. Right, I like that. And you realize that the only people who knew anything about this God named Yahweh, they've all been gone for 400 years. Now, have you ever heard your grandfather talk about the old days? And sometimes it's interesting, and sometimes it's like, geez, Grandpa lives in the 1950s, right? Now, multiply that by by however many generations it takes to get you back 400 years, right? Now, here's Moses. Not even Moses knows God very well. And yet, in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Here's what it says. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron, uh, to hip you to that, that's his brother who's going to help him out, went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, and whenever you see L-O-R-D all in capitals, uh, you could substitute the name depending on how you want to pronounce it, Jehovah or Yahweh. I I like actually using the name because it, it emphasizes the fact that Pharaoh had other gods with other names. So when Moses goes there, he's not just saying, you know, for us monotheists, here's what God's telling you to do. Actually, Moses is saying, here's what this one particular God named Yahweh is telling you. Here is, uh, this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel says, let my people go that they'd hold a festival to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, who's Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. This is the only question that I want to camp on for the next few minutes. And that is that visionary leadership has to be able to answer Pharaoh's question. Who is the Lord? Who is God? Visionary leadership has to be able to answer it. That's the next step in visionary leadership. And how we answer that question determines how we interact with the world around us, how we answer that question shapes us to the very core. Visionary leadership requires an answer to the question, who is the Lord, that I should obey him and do what he says. I toyed with the idea right now of just passing out index cards and suggesting that you write down a quick answer, who is the Lord? but I decided I'd make it homework. Did you know you'd have homework today? Can you, can you go home and sometime after the afternoon nap just try to answer the question, who is the Lord? How I answer it, how you answer it, how we together answer it determines so much of the course of our lives. Visionary leadership has to be able to answer it. Now, the story gets more complicated. As, as every good storyteller knows, you can, you can actually go to a website and find Pixar's 22 Steps for Telling a Good Story. And it's you not only present the problem, but then you make the problem worse. And here's the problem worse in the same chapter, in chapter five, and that is that Moses goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, who's Yahweh that I should obey him? And Pharaoh says, all right, You guys are lazy. You have too much time on your hands. I still want you to make bricks to build my empire, but now you're going to have to gather your own straw, which was like this element that helped them to dry out or something. And now in the last verses of the chapter, the story's actually gotten more complicated because the children of Abraham, whether they are 600,000 or 2 million, we don't know, but it's a freaking lot of people. The children of Israel say to Moses, The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you shall not reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. It sounds like an ambush. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and you've put a sword in their hand to kill us, which is a bit of overstatement. All you got to do is just get the straw yourself, okay? So Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, Yahweh says, let us go. And Pharaoh says, who's your God and why should I obey him? And now the children, the descendants of Abraham are also saying, what have you done? And frankly, the implied question is, who is this God you purport to be speaking for? Because you, dude, you just made the situation worse. And then I love this because this is the way anxiety runs through an organization. The outside factor says, "Uh uh-uh. The inside factor says, oh, my God, the leaders have screwed everything up. And then the leader, Moses, returns to the Lord and says, why, Lord, have you brought this trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me ever since I went to Pharaoh and to speak your name? He's brought trouble on all this people, and you haven't rescued your people at all. Anxiety runs right up the organization back to God. Even Moses is saying, What are you doing? Now, whether you've worked for volunteer organizations or businesses or in government agencies, this is exactly the path. Somebody steps out in leadership, somebody else says, Uh uh-uh. uh. Everybody gets upset, and even the leader gets upset, and they cry out to whoever their God is. So, I mean, this is about as real as it gets. And this is the problem, because actually what's necessary is that in order to answer this question, we have to answer it at three levels. Can we answer the question, who is the Lord, to Pharaoh? Can we answer the question, who is the Lord, to God's people? And can we answer the question to ourselves? Pharaoh asked in absolute disrespect and derision. Israel asked out of their despair things have gotten worse. I mean, at least, you know, we used to get onions and we got our straw for free and we could make our bricks and we still got seven hours sleep. And now they're despairing. And I'm not even sure why Moses asked the question. He's just frustrated. But you know, both in chapters three and four, Moses is saying, hey, you know, you and I have just met. And as far as I, all I know about you is that you live in a bush that burns and isn't consumed. That's all Moses knows about God. This question, in order to pursue visionary leadership, whether you lead within your um, uh, your company, maybe you're the owner of your company, maybe you're a a director level status within your organization, maybe you just have uh, three people that ride crew with you on uh, on a a truck that repairs things. Um, We have to be able to answer this at all three levels. Who is the Lord? And oddly enough, no, no, not oddly. Just it, it's important to note that the answer will depend on who's asking and why they're asking. Because how did, how did Pharaoh get the answer? How, I mean, God answered Pharaoh. How did, what, was, what did Pharaoh's answer look like? Ten plagues. It was painful. And dead Egyptians floating in the Red Sea. I know it's not popular in this day and age to talk about the wrath of God, but to the one who asked in defiance, boy, did they get an answer. What about the ones who asked in despair? What kind of answer did they get? I'm asking. Hmm? Freedom. They found freedom. They found rescue. Was it an easy trip? You know... I know that the Cecil B. DeMille movie with Charlton Heston, you know, is cheesy, but it's the kind of cheese that I really like. And one of the things that that movie does a really good job of showing is that on the night of the first Passover, when the angel of death, which is portrayed as this cloud reaching its fingers, you know the image? Do you remember it? They do a good job of showing that even the people of Israel are indoors and terrified because the only insurance they have is that they they put a bunch of blood on their door. They're terrified. They find rescue, but it ain't so easy. They're terrified, but they do find freedom. And they have to find it again and again. First, they find freedom by being set free physically from Israel. But are their fears gone when they're physically set free from Israel? Oh, no, here comes the Egyptian army. Moses, you put us up against the Red Sea. What have you done? Freedom is first physical. Then they have to deal with their fears. Then they go through the Red Sea and the most powerful military force in the existence of the world at the time is totally destroyed. And then they go out into the wilderness and they go, oh no, what are we going to eat? And they even have to find freedom from their own needs and desires. Physical rescue, rescue from fear, rescue from their own needs and desires till they can find rest. And actually, there's a whole generation that doesn't find rest. (laughs) And then there's Moses. There's Moses. And, you know, as as a leader, Moses wasn't fully formed. He didn't come to to the people of Israel and say, I've graduated from Wharton School of Management. I have an MBA. I am going to be the one to draw the flow chart that's going to get us out of here. He was a guy who'd been hiding in the backside of nowhere for 40 years. He didn't know this God that he was purporting to represent. What if this God is actually like Loki and is just going to try to trick him? I mean, I mean that's really the level you've got to put it to. There's names for all these gods. There's Ra, the Egyptian sun god. Haggit, the Egyptian goddess of fertility. There's this Yahweh who is some god of Israel's uh, forefathers. And there's up in the north, there's Thor and there's Loki. That's the world that exists. And Moses is having to deal with time and time and time again, who is this god and, I, and have I backed the right pony in the pantheon of gods? Do you think Moses came fully formed and said, well, of course, monotheism is the wave of the future. (laughs) And I have decided that there is only one God and that he's a God who appeared to somebody else 450 years ago. Moses was not fully formed as a leader. In fact, his leadership was a journey of discovery. Watch out now because here comes the application. If we're called... To be leaders, our journey of leadership is a journey of, fill in the blank, discovery. Do you know that there are parts of your Christian maturity, there are parts of your spiritual and even your emotional and your intellectual development that will never, never be answered until you embrace the role of leader in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, in your work, In society, fill in the blank. There are things we will never discover about ourselves until we embrace that. And the the deal is, is that we don't get the degree and then say, I've answered the questions. We get the degree by doing. Moses did not come as a fully formed leader. Now, I want to answer this question, who is the Lord, three different ways. I promised I'd live tweet my own messages. Okay, it's 1020. I'm not really live tweeting them. I just want to see what time it was. All right. I want to give you three answers to who is the Lord from real life. Can I do that? Are you guys with me? Yeah. Are we okay? All right. I'm, I'm really old. I've, uh, I met the Lord when I was summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school. I was 14 turning 15 in the fall. And, uh, and so a long time ago, in a, in a whole other spiritual galaxy, I was part of a very authoritarian movement. And that authoritarian movement um, viewed leadership as the ability of the leader to marshal his resources. And it was always his because there were no hers, okay? It was the ability of the leader to marshal his resources. And because I was a resource, I moved at the word of my pastor from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky. I don't know if you know this. I used to live in J-Town. It was like in 1946, but I did. I lived in J-Town a long time ago. And when it didn't look like I'd fit in there because I was the kind of guy who made trouble and asked people questions like, don't you believe we're all going to be leaders? Then they invited me, this leadership, to leave J-Town and to go to a church in Fort Worth, Texas. And so I went because that's what you do. You're a good soldier. And the emotional weight of doing the bidding of leaders who said that leadership is just about marshalling other people's resources finally hit me when after several years and and two relocations and now I've got this pastor who's supposed to be like the voice of God to me and he's a new pastor. I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me and I just want to tell you this story. I'm on the phone to him and I'm at my wits end and I feel like I've been thrown away from not one but two congregations, not as a pastor, just as a dude, right? And, I, and I, on the phone, I said, John, I, I'm trying to be a good soldier. And like, you know, that's, you're glad it's the phone because at this point, the lip is quivering and your eyes are filling up. And he said to me, he said, do you think that's how God sees you is as a soldier? Because he's your father and he loves you. But if you've got a quivering lip and your eyes are already brimming, And somebody busts your paradigm about who God is, what that man did, who is still my friend to this day, shout out John Summers, Morgantown, West Virginia. What he did that day was he showed me a new picture of who is the Lord. And it wrecked me for the rest of my life. Okay? That's what leadership does is it redraws a picture of who is the Lord. A couple of months ago, I was in another city, had a chance to meet a Facebook friend, and she'd been a Facebook friend for like three years. I'd never met her, and I said, hey, I'm going to be in this city. I asked my wife first, got permission. Hey, I'm going to be in this city. (laughs) I'm going to be in this city. Um, uh, Single mother of two children, and so we got together. And she starts to tell me her story. Now, how many of you know that the story on Facebook is not always the real story? It's true. It's true. true. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm way better in person than I am on Facebook. No, that's not not usually the way it is, is it? She starts to tell me her story. And her story is married at 18 to a meth addict. She didn't know he was a meth addict when she married him. Comes from, she came from a very religious background who, who uh, um, asked, uh, they apprehended the scripture as a rule book. And so when she's going, oh my God, I've married a meth addict. He's abusive. And, and fill in whatever adjective you need for abusive. He was abusive. And she cries out for help and her community of faith says, God hates Divorce. And that's the picture of God that she struggled with. And I don't know if you can imagine this. Imagine being married to a meth addict for like 10 years and giving birth to two children, and you are the breadwinner, and you got to hide the bread, and you got to watch out for your own safety. And you got to protect your children. And your community of faith says God hates divorce. So your picture of God is God is a rule giving and rule keeping God. Until one day, someone else introduces her to a God who loves her and her children and will be with her wherever she goes, even if her own community of faith rejects her. And her picture of God changed. Someone finally answered the question to her in her despair and in her captivity. Someone answered the question to her, who is the Lord in a new way? Not the rule-giving and rule-keeping God, but the God who will be with you. And it gave her the courage to go out on her own. And it wasn't easy, and she worked multiple jobs. But she worked hard, and now she actually has her own business and is highly sought after in her city, in her field of endeavor, and is actually beginning to build within, you know, these little sub-communities, a national following on the strength of her insights, intelligence, and gifting. And she's still a single mom. Because believe me, when you get married at 18 and you're thinking, you know, this is what my life is gonna look like, you don't imagine yourself living in a strange city far away from the state that you got married in and that you're going to raise two children on your own and that people are going to come to you for advice. And so she hobnobs with executives and she tells them that's the stupidest email you ever wrote. I suggest that you should have written it this way. And here she is. Former wife of a meth addict, single mom, living on her own, with Jesus, the with Jesus kind of life, and now she actually is like, okay, so you said something stupid in public. Let me step you through how to do the apology in a way that will save your business. She's a leader. I mean, and where she used to live, you could have played that song from Deliverance. ba da da bum 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 I'm just, I'm I'm trying to keep the identities, you know, somewhat protected, but she went from a very, very backwoods environment to a very urban environment, and she found herself a leader of men and women in the business world. And she loves Jesus with all her heart, and the wisdom she has is the word of wisdom that dwells in her, that comes through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? And it started, yes, is correct, by the way, um, It started because her image of who is the Lord changed. In her despair, she cried out, who is the Lord? One more. I have a friend who is one of the most brilliant people I know. He's my age. He's so brilliant. The Lord uses him so deeply. And his wife uh, conceived a child uh, after age 40, and the child was born with birth defects, lived eight days, and and the child died. And he went from being, you know, a six-figure earner with a major tech company to being a guy who was totally stuck in neutral, and he felt like nothing that God had ever said was true anymore. Right? Now, he met the Lord same time I did, you know, back as a teenager. And two missionaries came to dinner at his house, and they changed my friend's image of God as God is unreliable and if you lean on him, he will let you down. That was the image he had. And they said, no, God is a father to the fatherless and a judge on behalf of the widow. And their picture, my friend and his wife, their picture of God changed to the degree that he quit his job, sold his house, moved to another continent and began ministering to people who didn't have enough food to eat. And literally tens of thousands of young children found food being provided for them in the name of Jesus through his ministry, and his and his wife's ministry. And together, they adopted twin AIDS babies whom God healed, and those babies are now in their junior high school years. And... He's moved back to the United States and he's sought after in his field of endeavor. He is sought after all across the country. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that he's won awards from Harvard or Yale and that his name is known in the admission halls at Stanford University. And this was a guy whose picture of God was, God's not reliable. What did I get for working with God? I got a dead child. And now, because his picture of God changed from unreliable to he's a father to the fatherless and a judge on behalf of the widows, you know, the good kind of judge, the one that says not guilty. And and his impact has been quite literally international and touched tens of thousands. You see, if we'll ask who is the Lord in our despair, he's really faithful to bring freedom. He's really faithful to answer the question, And he's really faithful to entirely reorder our life. And for some reason, I just feel the need to just say this. God did this for Moses when he was 80 years old. So if you are 50 flipping five, don't write this off. I'm just, I, I I feel the need to really drill down on this. If you think AARP sent me the invitation 10 years ago and I'm drawing social security right now, it's still a word for you. Today, I just went to preaching. I clapped my hand really loud and I gestured like this. I'm sorry, I'll never let that happen again. So here's what Exodus 5 tells us. Visionary leadership is to see God for who he is and to speak it out. And there may be levels. You may have to speak it to a hostile audience. You may have to speak it to a despairing audience. You might have to be able to speak it to yourself. But visionary leadership is to see and to speak. Tell one more story. I got permission from at least at least one half of the family to tell the story. The other half will be surprised to hear this when I want to tell you about Marcus and Kelly Stanfield and one of their experiences. And that is simply this. They had a child that was born with significant plumbing issues in his heart. And the child spent a significant portion of time at Cosair Children's Hospital in the NICU, which is natal intensive care unit? Neonatal intensive, NNICU. Thank <laughs> you, right? And by the way, their, their son is just a delight. And how old is, is he now? He's five now. I watched as Marcus and Kelly found a community of people who were in despair and they represented who God was within that community. Now, I don't have any illusions. Marcus and Kelly aren't perfect. They found themselves in dire circumstances and yet they still were able to turn aside. They were able to discover that there were captives all around them, captives to fear and to worry and to anxiety, and they were able to to speak out who God was. And on the few times that I visited them in, in that situation, I was amazed that whether you went into the NICU where the baby was, the the ease with which Marcus and Kelly interacted, not only with the staff but with other parents whose children were fighting for their lives, or whether it was downstairs, uh at, at the mcdonald's that's in the basement of that uh, or the first floor of the hospital by the way a hospital with mcdonald's what's up with that right um uh, kelly told me this story that you know you're there for like forever and you don't think you're ever going to go home and um and so your face gets to be familiar and so like a homeless guy asked marcus hey give me some money and marcus says i'm not giving you any money but here's the mcdonald's i'll be glad to buy you some food And apparently the guy blows him off the first time. But he sees Marcus again and again and again. And finally, the, the homeless guy says, okay, I'm ready for that food now. Can I get a cup of coffee and a cheeseburger? And you see, even in the midst of our own distress, we can look around and actually see that God has placed us in a community of captives or a community of despair or a community that is uncertain. And we can begin to answer the question, who is the Lord? And the only way to be able to embrace this is wherever you're at, you might think, well, man, Ray's telling all these hard luck stories. He's actually manipulating emotions because he's talking about, you know, children dying and orphans in another continent and stuff like that. Look, maybe you've got it like completely squared away. You're like so together. And, you know, Uncle Sam loves it on April 15th when you file, okay? Here's, Here's what is required for all of us. And that is a holy discontent that drives us to continue to discover who is the Lord. That's that's what's required, a holy discontent. What I know of him is not enough. I've got to have more. And I may have to have more because I need more right now, like help me out here. Or it might be that, you know what, if I live in the middle of my contentment, you know, with my 2.4 children and my perfect house and my nice six-figure income. If I continue to live that way, I'm going to die. We need a holy discontent that asks us, drives us to continue to ask, who is the Lord? And the way to do that is just to turn aside at every opportunity that you think it might be God. By the way, here at the Vineyard today, we have opportunities for that. This is uh, the prophetic weekend, whatever we call it, uh, whatever. We have prophetic teams. We've got three or four booths set up. And so one way to ask who is the Lord is to sit down with people who will just pray for like 30 seconds and then try to deliver to you prophetic encouragement in the name of Jesus. And maybe the seed will be planted. Don't just bust in. you got to sign up back there. but prophetic booths. Do we have anybody for ministry team? I mean, not the prophetic booths, but for this stuff. This is good. This is the A team coming up. Look at this. Look at these guys. Is um. anybody got a word? Wordy, word, word. Yeah. I knew it. I could see it yeah. in your eyes. I know that there are a lot of really cool things happening with a lot of you guys, um, just a lot of things being birthed, and um, this morning, I just kind of felt like um, like some of us were seeing that stuff happening, and feeling like maybe we're in a, you know, like, like Adam was talking about, we're in a desert, and you kind of feel unfruitful, and don't really know what it is that the Lord's calling you to, so if, the, if you feel like that's you then I would like to pray for you that the Lord would give you vision. And if you are one of those that's birthing something new, I would just like to bless that for you. That's a blessing. Thanks. Richie's got something. Um, I saw like when you when a parent has a child that's crawling, how they'll crawl away and the parent will pick them up and protect them from danger. And I feel like there's some people here today that um, maybe need prayer for um, just confidence to go out on your own and know that your Heavenly Father is protecting you, and he'll pick you up and keep you away from the danger, and uh, just to trust him like uh, like a baby trusts their parents. So. Wow, that's a good word. There's a whole message right there. <laughs> and I'm about to say it. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. And don't you hate it when the guy who just preached the message decides he says, let's pray, and then he's going to re-preach the message to you in the prayer? Not that that ever happens. <laughs> Father, would you confirm your word to our hearts? Amen. <laughs> Thanks. Have a great day. God bless.